Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of the Unseen Life Experience podcast. Today we have a really exciting guest, our first millennial um, interviewee. <laughs> uh, she's known as Indian Thing 123 on TikTok. Uh, if you're watching this episode, you have probably seen her on your feed one time or another. Um, if you're listening to the audio, she produces videos about food and life in Nairobi. And I'm really excited to talk to her about a story that she hasn't publicly shared yet. And let's get right into it. Hi, Indian Thing123. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Let's just start with your name. While doing research for this podcast, I realized that I couldn't find your real name anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that? Um, it's a matter of privacy. I also feel like I have not the most common name. So if you, you know, search my real name, everything comes up. And in the day and age of the internet, it's so important to practice internet safety. I yeah. like that. <laughs> and what type of content do you produce now? Um, I think when you came into the limelight, let's say, it was a lot of food. Mm -hmm. And I know that you've evolved quite a bit since. So what do you talk about now? I think it's become more of just sharing my life in a very aesthetic way, whether it's weddings I go to or places I visit. A lot of it is very authentic. I feel like it's less pressure on me. So I've just gravitated towards more lifestyle, but food is my passion. And have you always been into social media? Not as much. I discovered, <laughs> you know, all of these things online, like all of these people, groups, subsets, interests online at a very, I'd say in my teenage years, very later on. And then now being on Instagram, because I was never really that into social media. It's weird that there are all of these Instagram celebrities, TikTok celebrities that I never knew before. And they're huge. So, yeah. And... So I saw a video where you posted about your invisible disability. Mm -hmm. It was a gym mm -hmm. at Sarit Center. And what really captivated me about that particular video was how you really talked about inclusivity. Is that something you really look out for now? Maybe we can get into your disability. So I don't have a disability as such that bars me from basic um, needs I feel as somebody who is very typically disabled but I still do look for inclusivity when it comes to fitness when it comes to beauty um, those are spaces now I look for exclusively but before I don't think I would have thought of these things so what is your condition if we can call it that sure um, so I have I have idiopathic scoliosis and basically, it's just the curvature of your spine at a certain angle. Um, it's very common, actually, especially amongst girls for some odd reason. And so I had scoliosis growing up. And then um, typically the rate for surgery is over 30 degrees. So when I had surgery, it was over 80 degrees. What? Yeah. So how is your spine supposed to curve and mm -hmm. how was yours curving? Are you... So imagine a straight line 
and then it's like you put a protractor <laughs> so my spine was like this so it was closer to my heart as well which was a concern and as a result like your whole body kind of doesn't grow the same way your organs your lungs everything functions slightly differently and it's slightly off skew yeah and how old were you when it came to be discovered and how did you know that something was off so i was 6 years old and i was sitting with an auntie and she was rubbing my back and we were in india um at a health farm my parents are very health conscious so i've grown up going doing yoga being extremely active and she was like there's something wrong i can feel something you know so immediately my parents took me um to the hospital and at the time my dad was also part of the Kenyan paraplegic organization and he was on the board so for sure he was like it's something to do with spinal and we went to this very derelict spinal hospital the only one we have in Kenya and it's just so interesting and we can talk about that later but that's how it was discovered and then i went to a couple of different doctors in Kenya in India and and then i grew up with it and then finally when i was 12 that's when we realized something was really wrong and we started researching more on surgeons and people in this field who could guide me in the right way so before between 6 and 12 how are they managing it were you like in a brace to help um mm-hmm. no i wasn't in a brace or such um I don't know why that is and but I don't think um doctors as well had told me you just have to monitor it at the time but it was quite severe even when I was 6 or 7 it was 12 degrees and now looking back um I think the field wasn't as developed as it is today and especially over here there's not many resources so I did a lot of yoga growing up as I said like it was my parents were very focused on how can we fix this um homeopathically which i don't know is the best approach now looking back but um then there was this one german lady who i think um really aggravated my condition in kenya and she used to do this thing called rolfing so rolfing is when they physically try and straighten your spine and that was really painful you know and she'd even tell me she's like you won't be able to walk the next day I'll give you a note for PE and this is completely normal. You know, so the field has really developed um people's way of thinking has really developed just in the last 10 15 years. But I remember this was the norm. And she would charge a bomb back in the day and my parents would pay obviously, right? She charged 5000 shillings, you know. In the in the 2000s, you're like that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. It's after 2008, so it's a lot of money. And now looking back I f- I feel like if I ever saw her I would genuinely report her to the police. I get that. But I think she aggravated my condition. I hit puberty and then yeah, I needed cuz I grew, I had growth spurts. Then it was visibly um it was visibly I was visibly disabled. You could see my hunchback, etc. Yeah. So then how was that corrected? So then I had surgery. I had it with a surgeon in India. At that time he was top 5 in the world. Wow. Yeah, so um we had a few options. Um but India for even aftercare was the most affordable. 
So yeah, he did my surgery. He's a leading surgeon in his field. And it was really interesting for me to go to his, like he has a children's hospital that he used to run. Um, and it was for people who couldn't afford hospital. So meeting all of these disabled kids who come from a completely socioeconomic um, background than I do, who go through the same thing I do, but on a very different level. Yeah. And could you describe the surgery um, in depth? Like what happened? Sure. So it's a it's a simple and a not so simple surgery. It's surgery itself was, I believe, 18 and a half hours. And what they do is they fuse titanium to your spine and physically straighten it. So before surgery, what they do is they check your flexibility, see how much they can try and straighten because also you can't put that much pressure. And so, yeah, it's just titanium rods and then bolts on the side. So you have those as we speak. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And they'll never come off. Um, I think, as I said, like this field is so, it's still developing rapidly. So, but still developing. So even at this time, I think, um, doctors are uncertain in my forties. I may have to do another surgery, maybe in my thirties, my fifties. I don't know. And what was the recovery from that surgery? Like how long were you in hospital? How frequently did you need to have physio? I presume, what was that like? So my condition is quite different. So after surgery from about 87 degrees, um, it went to about 28. Um, I was in very intensive physio and I was in hospital for 42 days. Yeah. (laughs) It's a long time. It's an extremely long time. But you know, the spine is such a delicate thing. And it's not just that it's a delicate thing. It... It's everything in your body. So everything is off for me, you know? Um, They cut four of my ribs during surgery uh, to get to the spine. So, yeah. So you were recovering from, (laughs) like, your spine surgery, and Mm -hmm. then your ribs also needed time to heal after being broken. Yeah, so something about broken ribs they never heal and so it was like it was cut cleanly so now I think they're okay but still they hurt um my lungs on one side of my body never developed fully because of my scoliosis so working on my lungs after surgery working on breathing my hips are a bit off so it's it's a it's a thing that affects your whole body so physio is something you have to do lifelong And as a result of such an intensive surgery, there are so many minor complications that may arise. Like you may have issues with your nerves. You may have issues with your knees, everything. Yeah. (laughs) That's so interesting because looking at you, no one would tell that there's all these things happening inside. And I think that's why we need to talk about invisible disabilities and why we need to insist that people need to be kind because you really don't know what people are going through. And how, has, how have all these things affected your mobility now? And how do you manage your pain? So pain management is something I think you're learning daily, right? Some days are just worse than others. And, you know, some days I don't know how to manage it, you know? 
But at the same time, I think it's important to be productive. I am glad my parents pushed me to find other hobbies when I was younger. So I feel like I know how to distract myself. I know how to put myself into things and kind of ignore the pain, which is also not the healthiest. But when you live with chronic pain, it's something that's unavoidable. So sometimes it's not just about managing, it's just about getting through it and being mentally okay with it and learning how to mentally handle yourself. Yeah. And what's your support like? Because I, I presume, well, if I think about my story, I needed quite a bit of support. Mm -hmm. um, so I had family and I joined um, a Facebook group for people who had a similar injury. Um, so what's it been like for you? Um, I'm not part of any support groups. It's been weird meeting people who have the same thing as I do because every case with a spinal issue is very different. And this sounds really horrible, but, you know, I've met some people who have it way better than me, you know? And then you kind of feel like the sense of... I Like, I still feel hurt, you know? It's hard for, I think, my inner child to still get over this fact that this is for life. Yeah. You know, like I just feel like at one at one in one hand, I'm so young and on one hand, I'm so old. So it's it's hard, I think, meeting other people who have the same thing as I do, because you can't necessarily relate on everything. And then I've also met people who have it way worse than I do. <laughs> so um, but one thing I've done, which I thought was really cathartic for me, was I wrote a children's book. Wow. Yeah, and the reason I wrote a children's book is because I felt like it was it was for me as a child who did not know what I was going through. Like, how do you explain to classmates, how do you process yourself at the age of 10 or 11 going through something like this? And nobody understanding because, as you said, invisible disabilities are so often brushed aside, right? Only you know what you're going through. Nobody else can really... They can sympathize, but they, they won't be able to empathize. And I feel like with that empathy aspect, it's I, I feel like sympathy is worse. <laughs> you know. Tell us more about the book. <laughs> so um, it was difficult to make it positive because I don't think disabilities have positive endings. Right? They're a very, no. <laughs> Arguable. <laughs> I find it, I think it's hard. To be positive and I think there are just some aspects of life that are negative like there's no way I could I'll be very honest like you know you hear all these things and people are like oh your pain makes you stronger I'm like no it doesn't it really doesn't there's days like it doesn't matter you know it could be a little bit of pain and I'll still be like on the floor even though I've been through way worse yeah. right pain breaks you down so um, the children's book, I made it a bit positive at the end, but I focused more on kind of her social relationships because as somebody who's very closed off as a result of what I've gone through, I find it difficult to empathize sometimes or with other people. I, I, it's a difficulty for me. And as a child growing up, I found it even more difficult. There's always this disconnect between me and other classmates. And... So it was just for me how to make friends and also for other children that different people, it also has to do with mental illness. Like disabilities also have to do with mental illness. 
if somebody's more grumpy, that doesn't make them a bad person. If somebody's more closed off, that doesn't make them a bad person. So you don't have to be happy to be a good person. And it's and I think, you know, when nowadays we have all these things that now we're, we're aware of, like anxiety, depression, and it also affects little kids. So it was mostly to do with that mental and emotional aspect. What's the title of the book and where can we find it? It's called Backbone. Currently, um, I'm still getting it on Kenyan shelves. The first thing I did was I gave um, copies to my surgeon to give out to um, his clients and children who are coming in, particularly girls. And I've given it out to a lot of girls that I know personally, whether it's through family, friends, if especially I've met a few disabled girls through this. And so I've just been handing out books and I've been trying to donate. I want to donate a few more books but it is available on Kindle nice. at the moment. Okay. We'll look for it. <laughs> okay. And it sounds like you are really involved in uh, advocacy. I wish I was more involved in um, advocating for children who have disabilities and especially girls. I think being a girl who has a disability makes your life completely different. And growing up, because I'm Indian, when you see how disabled girls are treated in marginalized communities or in developing communities, and not just in India, over here, what do they go through, right? Especially if you're from a lower socioeconomic status, you are literally discarded. Because if you're disabled and you have a spinal disability, it's very uncertain whether you may or may not be able to have kids. Right? So a lot of girls especially are just discarded by society. So I wish I was doing more. And it was something I entertained, but it's, I think it's been really difficult trying to do that in this space. <laughs> I hope you find your way along that path and that it comes to be as you imagine. Thank you. And you mentioned something about the spinal hospital here being an interesting experience. Could you let us know a bit more about that? Mm -hmm. So it's very derelict. And even though they have big donors, you can look it up after. <laughs> they have big donors. But unfortunately, it's so corrupt. The charity organizations over here, so corrupt. How so? Money gets eaten. Money just gets eaten in the spinal hospital. So one thing I had wanted to do when in high school was I talked to my surgeon and I talked to my dad and I was like how can we make the hospital better can we raise funds and my dad was just like no because he gone through a similar experience and he was just like it is so difficult for something like a spinal hospital which already has big backers to be able to implement better infrastructure because of how corrupt it is okay and you mentioned that you have inter have met a lot of people with the same condition. Um, is it how do you get to meet them? Is it mainly from like your friends and family sharing other stories, or how do you meet these people? It's very much like that. And then somebody will be like, "Oh, I know this person who's gone through something similar," and I'll be like, "Okay, I'd love to meet them." 
especially when I meet girls who are younger than me, um, it's always such a pleasure because it's like, oh, I wish I had known these things and I'm so happy I get to tell you. So it's like that. And then I've met people who have scoliosis. It's really common, but may not have gotten surgery or it may not be as severe as my case. Um, and let's talk about like what you do or what we know you to do, like the TikTok um, video content creation bit. Are there places in Kenya that you've been and you just have a positive experience from the, the level of accessibility that they have? Um, could you mention a, a few of them in case uh, people are wondering where to go? Because we had a guest who was talking about a brother who had had a double amputation and she couldn't find places for him and she would always have to go scout them first before taking him. So in case there are people who need a level of accessibility, would you be able to recommend a few places maybe? Sure. And I think um, another point I just want to make is that sometimes if a place is not accessible, you kind of have to figure out a way in which you can make it accessible. And um, I have, so my granddad passed away this year, but before then, we would take him every Sunday for breakfast. And every Sunday, we'd figure out what is accessible. So he had a few issues, so, you know, he'd have to use the bathroom often, for example. So we'd figure out, does this restaurant have an accessible bathroom? Was he on a wheelchair? No. Okay. But he had issues with his knees. Okay. And... Thank God he wasn't in a wheelchair. He refused. He was a very strong person. So he had a walking cane, but he struggled with lifting his legs. So walking upstairs, walking a lot. So for example, at Village Market, if you go, I would suggest you get dropped off at the main entrance. And there's a lift that directly takes you up to Art Cafe, for example. So small things like that. There are some restaurants that are not accessible. Um, the reason I think I had mentioned my accessibility in the gym video is because I never expected a gym to be this accessible at Sarit. Not only do they have, I think, an osteopath and a physiotherapist, which is not offered at many gyms. And if it is offered, some of these physios are not really physios. They're fitness experts, but they're not physiotherapists. Something I've encountered a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and they're really dedicated to making the whole experience accessible. There's a wheelchair ramp in the locker room. Wow. Yeah. That's and I, big. Right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, that's amazing that they cater to this when I know that not many people care. What about fashion? Mm -hmm. Are there any considerations that you think should be considered for people with disabilities yeah I really struggle because my body is slightly different and my back is really sensitive a lot of clothing if it's not the right material it'll irritate my scar it'll irritate my body and if it's too tight and it's not comfy I can't wear it and even things like I think this is a big thing for me but finding bras that are comfortable without wires and that's when you truly realize just how bad the patriarchy is oh <laughs> and like women's beauty standards because like even everyday bras, even for like 
young girls, not comfy. They're not made for comfort, a lot of them, right? Why are we putting wires in our bras? So you can't <laughs> shop online. You have to physically go and try yeah. out everything. Wow. And I think um, a lot of clothing that I wear, I try to buy local, a lot of cotton, comfy fabrics, flowy fabrics, things that are comfortable, but at the same time, a lot of certain things like bras. You have to get them online from the U.S. or from, you know, from Europe where they understand that they have specific materials, specific clothing for people who are disabled. If something is like, like zippers, they're not accessible. Small things like this, like somebody who can't, you know, how do you put on something for the zippers at the back? So, yeah, I think it's not very inclusive. That's really interesting. And is your scar, you, you just mentioned your scar being irritated. Like, mm -hmm. describe it. My scar, it goes from the top of my back to the complete bottom. But as a result of that, the skin all over my back is extremely sensitive, even till today. So like some parts of my back are numb, some parts are hypersensitive. So I have to be just very careful, like itchy fact, like fabric, I cannot do. Like I cannot do at all. And then even a lot of Indian clothing, because our blouses, we wear a lot of blouses. They may not fit me right, because from one side it's tight, one side it's loose, so... I have to get a lot of my clothes tailored to fit me. Wow. And does the titanium rod set sensors off? So if it's an old machine, like if I'm traveling through more domestic airports, smaller airports, then yes, it does affect me. Then I'll explain. Am I very, you know, Kavagora Sahili? I'll be like, <laughs> you know, I have Chuma in my back, you know, and then they'll be like, okay, okay. And then they'll see the scar and they'll be like, okay. Um, in Dubai and like other big airports, you know, the ones that actually, even actually over here at JKIA now, when you're flying internationally, they have, you know, the big ones that go around you. So those just detect objects and certain metals. But if it's within your body, it doesn't set off any alarm. So you don't have to walk around with like x-rays and... No. <laughs> wow. Well, the first time I traveled after my accident, I went with like ready i even wanted to carry the physical x-ray because i was just so scared of the security bit but it it went seamlessly um let's talk about your life's mission what do you feel your life's mission is so i do want to go into law actually and one part of that is i'm right now considering disability law i still feel like um there's not that many people in our corner and unfortunately, there's not enough resources available for disabled people. Something really interesting over here that I think a lot of people may not know about is that there are benefits that you can claim. Um, so they have different stations. The government of Kenya sets up different medical stations. And you can go to one of these stations and when they're having them. Or you can go to their office and basically get your disability status which may help you in work, may help you get a sticker for your car, small things like that. Interesting. Wow. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, as we close, what would your parting shot be to maybe someone who's in a similar situation and has just come into it? 
I think right after surgery, it's a very, for me, it was a very weird thing. On one hand, I felt relieved. I'm like, oh, this issue is finally over. And on one hand, it was a lot of pain. You're going through something so raw and vulnerable because you're constantly in this state so even when you leave the house you don't really it's hard to find a safe space outside so you kind of have to find that within yourself and you kind of have to remember and remember that this may be lifelong but it doesn't have to impact you the way you are letting it you don't have to be sad about it you can be angry you can feel all these emotions but you can't let that stop you from doing what you want and stop you from getting what you want well said <laughs> thank, thank you. you so much this has been the sixth episode of the unseen life experience podcast please go listen to the other podcasts we have some really interesting um stories and personal narratives and follow subscribe till next episode i've been your host wamboike thank you Disclaimer, the content provided in this episode of the Unseen Life Experience podcast is for informational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the podcast, its host, or any affiliated parties.